0: All of us want to be the best version of ourselves, but often things get in the way. We can get in our own way. Knowing what our best looks like is one of the biggest struggles of being the best of you. So I want you to think for a moment about um, maybe the last fight you had uh, with somebody, it could be at work. Maybe, maybe you had a fight on the way here today with a person sitting next to you. But what you think about, it could be a simple misunderstanding. Maybe it's this misunderstanding that, that you thought somebody said something, but they really said this, and, and, but you didn't go back to ask. And it's just a simple misunderstanding. Or maybe it's something that, that happened years ago and you're still not talking to that person. You've still not forgiven them. You've still not gone back to them. You're still holding on to it. Maybe it's something that around the holidays somebody always brings up inevitably and says, Hey, do you remember when you said this, you know, 15 years ago? And, and we hold on to it. And we carry it around. It might be at work, it might be in your family. And when James starts off by saying, What is the source of wars and fights among you? For some of us, we have wars that we have carried on relationally. And for others, we just have fights. And when it happens, here, here's what happens. Here's at least what I do. I don't know about you. But I think we all kind of handle fights and wars and arguments differently. But for me, one of my first go-to moves is I get really, really defensive. And and like James says, I pull judgment on the other person. I immediately start to think through, like I will replay the conversation and I will look for the weakness in the argument. And I will think through what the next conversation is gonna be and what you're gonna say and what I'm gonna say and how I'm gonna win. And what am I doing? I'm doing what James says. I'm standing in judgment of you as the other person. And and what I'll do too, you know, maybe you do this too, where you'll talk to a friend or a spouse, maybe you talk to a counselor and you tell them the story. And, And what we're looking for many times is we're looking for them to say, this is what I'm looking for. Josh, you're right. That person is so wrong. You are absolutely right. You are so right to be upset. That person's wrong. What I don't want them to say is I don't want them to hold up a mirror and say, well, what's your role in this? I don't want them to do that. I want them to say, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And here's the thing though, and, and you know this is true, that whether you're right and the other person's wrong or if it's a combination of the two, it actually doesn't really change the argument. It doesn't change the fight because there's still this internal turmoil that's happening that's playing out in the relationship. And what happens then is that now there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect in your marriage. There's a disconnect at work. There's a gap in your friendship. And the question is, how do, we, how do we get there? How does that happen? How is the last argument that you had in your marriage, how does that happen? How do we find ourselves in what James calls a war and a fight? In other translations, they call it a quarrel, a battle. And as cliche as it sounds, we find ourselves in wars and quarrels and fights because of sin, because of brokenness, because of your story, because of the other person's story. Like all of us, all of us bring into all of our relationships, our past stories. I mean, John talked a couple weeks ago about the power of words. Have you ever had an argument with somebody, probably somebody close to you, because what they said or how they acted triggered something in you from something way in your past? Something that your parents said to you or a teacher said to you, I remember one of my biggest struggles throughout my entire life is just this, this idea that I am smart enough. Okay, my whole life growing up, I, I had teachers tell me, you're just, you're too slow. You're not smart enough. You're not grasping this. And so my entire life was all about making sure that I could show people I was smart enough. So for me, one of the biggest triggers that I've had, especially when I was in my 20s, was if I felt the other person was judging my, my, my intellect. Now, was I reacting to the other person when they said that? No, I was reacting to that third grade teacher who said, hey, you're just not cutting it. The same thing happens in marriage. You've probably had a fight and maybe your spouse unwisely said, you're acting like your mother. You're acting like your father. I know that's never happened. Never, no one's, that's never happened to any of you. It's, it's, it's all other people. But what if, what if in that moment, you have a story playing in your head of something that your mother said, something that your father said, and your spouse said something that you reminded them? See, our quarrels and our fights, they come within us, James says. They come inside of us. And slowly what happens is we carry this brokenness. We carry our stories. We carry our sins with us. And here's the thing. We, we carry them so much that we think, you, you know, I'm, slowly we think it's, it's so comfortable. Like slowly we become the person who, who just always tries to find the solution. Slowly we become the person who avoids conflict. Slowly we become the person who doesn't want to step into that. Slowly we become the person who's not smart enough. And we carry that. And the thing is, and here's the, here's the broken part of it, is we are more comfortable, this is so important, as we're gonna see today, we are more comfortable with the brokenness and the stories of sin that we carry with us than the freedom that Jesus promises us. See, and as we've said in this series, this is, if you're taking notes, why don't you to write this down, that to become the best of you, you must look at the worst of you. And not just the worst of you, but, but the worst of what's in you. Because here's what grace does. The worst of you is where Jesus meets you. The worst of you is where Jesus meets you. See, to become the best of you, you have to look at the worst of you and all the brokenness and all the scars and everything that you would like to not be true about you. Because in the worst of you, in that place is where Jesus meets you. And so James asks, What is the source of wars and fights among you? And here's our first answer, the other person. That is the source of wars and fights among me. The other person. And you've said this and it's probably true. If your spouse would just do X, Y, and Z, you probably wouldn't have had that fight. If your child would have just listened and picked up their stuff, you probably wouldn't have had that fight. If they just would have listened to you. If your boss would have just listened to you. If your friend would have just listened to you. What causes quarrels and fights among you, wars and fights? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So what was the cause of the last war or fight in your life? And James says the war or fight that happens among you happens first in you. It happens first in you. Like I said, somebody says something that stings. Somebody lets you down. Somebody stabs you in the back or lies to you. And slowly, something comes up inside of us. So what's in you? I mean, there's lots of things in you. There's lots of things in me. But James says that passion wages war within you. Now, here's the thing. As we think about like that that anxiety or the things that rise up in us that lead to those fights and wars, we don't think about them waging war within us, okay? We think about them as simply just true, okay? So as it rises up in you, we, we rarely ever stop back to say, is that feeling that I have, that thing that I'm telling myself, the thing that's running through my heart and mind right now, is that true? We rarely ask that, but it's waging war within us. And, and don't miss this because here's the thing that, that's so easy in wars, fights, quarrels, anything, arguments, is we all think this is the, it's the other person. But notice what James says. Did you see the word that James uses 12 times in three verses? You, your. See what wages war, what leads to fights and quarrels is what's in you and what's in me. Now, what we want it to be is we want it to be what's in the other person. We want it to be about the other person. But James doesn't say, hey, what wages wars is what's in the other person. He says, what wages wars is within you. Meaning we have the ability to wage war, but we also have the ability to bring peace. We have the ability to engage in quarrels and fights, and we also have the ability not to. And this is why this is important, because our, our what rages inside of us, our wars, our fights, our quarrels, James says it comes from that place, oftentimes of selfishness, because our sin is selfish. Like we don't sin out of a servant mentality. We sin and oftentimes wage war within ourselves and within relationships out of a sin mentality. And yes, the other person, I, don't, I want to be clear, the other person has responsibilities to take. But you and I can't change the other person. You can't, you can't make the other person apologize. You can't make the other person say that you were right. You can't make the other person do anything. And what's interesting then is that James says, you know, you desire and don't have because you don't ask. You fight and wage war because you don't ask. And what's interesting is that when we think of this idea of the word desire, he says, you desire in verse two and don't have. The moment that we hear the word desire in the Bible, we often think of it as sinful, okay? But desire is not always sinful. Desire reveals something in us, a longing in us. I mean, even the promise that Jesus says, I I will give you the desires of your hearts. Well, at some point then, that means that whatever you desire, you have to bring to God to say, okay, is this a God-given desire that you've placed in me? And so James says you desire and don't have. And, And desire, again, is not always sinful. James wants us to evaluate our desire. Okay, so step back from your last argument or fight or quarrel, however you want to put it, disagreement, all out battle, however you describe it in your family, a discussion, however you use it. In that moment, what did you desire? Maybe you desired to be close. You just wanted to be close. You wanted the other person to to come close to you. You wanted intimacy and you felt like it wasn't there. You desired intimacy and closeness, so, so you fought. You desired to be affirmed or approved and it didn't happen, so you fought. You desired power and control and you didn't get it, so you, so you fought. What is it that you desired? See, within our desire, all of those desires aren't bad. Some of them are actually good. The desire for closeness, the desire for coming together and having peace, that's a good desire. But sometimes then as, as they rage within us, James says we don't evaluate our desires, so we go into all-out war. So here's the question for you. This is an incredibly important question. What desire do you have that causes fights and wars within you and among you? What desire do you have that causes fights and wars first in you and then among you? Because here's my guess. Almost every fight and argument and battle and everything else that you have probably has a similar desire to every other battle and war that you have. There's something that you long for. And if you think hard enough about it and look far enough back, you'll find in your story where it didn't happen. You'll find where it didn't happen. And James says, that's the place of transformation. Not trying to just be a calmer person, not trying to be a more understanding person, but transformation happens in that broken place. And my guess is, this is why it comes after the power of words. It happens somewhere in your story where someone said something to you. And you have just carried that around. And here's what happens. It slowly just becomes part of your story. It becomes part of your reality. It becomes just something that you're used to. And slowly, it becomes more normal to you than the freedom that Jesus promises. Now, we'll just be honest for a second. It's so much easier for it to just be the other person's fault. But James says, I want you to evaluate your desire. And I want you to evaluate where, where that came up and what happened. And then James, he wants us to see that it's even more intense than we think, because I think it's easy for us sometimes when it comes to sin or it comes to brokenness to kind of shrug at it a little bit and be like, well, you know, it's not that bad. Like it, it could be worse. You know, it, it could like our marriage could be like this other one or like uh, my friendships could be like this. Like, so we'll we'll kind of evaluate our sins sometimes based off of how we see other people's sins. And so James says, no, no, I want you to see the intensity. He says in verse four, he says, you adulterous people, which that's not, that, that's not a compliment, okay? Like, the, the, like he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, and we'll return to this in verses 11 and 12, but the heart of healthy relationships is humility. And this is hard because I, I, I love being right. And so, and so do most of you. You love being right too. I remember years ago, I, I was venting to a, to a mentor. I was telling him about this relationship. And, and, and I was right. I was so justified. I mean, it was unbelievable. The arguments that I have were actually pretty incredible. I just want to be honest about like how great these arguments were, okay? And this is what he said. He looked right at me and he goes, Josh, he said, here's the thing I've learned over the years. This is an older, you know, he's in his, he was in his 60s. He said, Josh, here's, here's what I've learned over the years. He said, Maturity and humility is the ability to not have the last word. And I went, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) But do you know over the last 15, 16 years since he said that to me, he's right. He's right. Because grace is the ability to let go. See, pride wells up in us to get the last word, right? To get the last word. I remember years ago, I I used to always, like whenever I would be like texting with my dad, I would always like, I would just send when the conversation was over, I would always just send last word just to like, because this is my like go-to move. I want the last word. Like that's such a battle for me. But here's the thing, when that wells up in us, and pride shows its, pride shows its way in, in so many different facets, okay? We can be prideful in relationships simply by being a doormat for the other person and kind of becoming a martyr for them. That's the way that pride shows up. Pride shows up kind of obviously in, in, in my life that, I mean, you know, I love the last word. But I know and I've grown to see, no, 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 humility and maturity, my mentor was right, is not having the last word. I'm just saying, you know what? I'll just let that go. I'll just let that go. Why? Because James says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, and the reason this is important and the reason that James wants us to see how big of a deal this is and the sin within us and and the desires that just rage and wage war within us are is because if sin is small, then grace is small. So if sin is just small, it's just kind of like, well, you know, It's not that big of a deal. And we do this, we go, sin's not that big of a deal. Then why did Jesus die on the cross for that not big deal? But if sin is small, then grace is small. But if sin is destructive and look at the words he used, murder, hostility, covet, envy, friendship with the war, adultery, enemy of God. These are not, these are huge phrases. And and so James wants us to go, okay, when we have relational difficulty, when we sin against another person, when we sin against God, do we look at that and go, well, or do we look at that and go, I am an enemy of God. Here's what I've had to learn. Here's the conviction. I remember years ago, I preached through the book of James, uh, probably 10, 11 years ago. And as I kept thinking about what my mentor had to say, here's the thing that, that just kept running through my heart and mind. Anytime that I go to have the last word, I am being an enemy of God. Now, is that harsh? But as God just kept pressing into that, saying, Josh, you don't need to have that last word. So think about the last fight as you think about your last argument. How much of that stems from pride? How much of that stems from humility? No, I know. I know it's true you were more humble than the other person. I know. But do you see how easy it is? And this is why, as we're gonna get to it, it's just coming for us, like, like a freight train just coming down. Judgment's the last two verses of this passage. Do you see how it all connects? But how much of the war that you have in your family, in relationships, the war that you have with God, how much of that comes from pride? Because here's one of the ways pride shows up is I'm convinced that I have a better plan for my life than God does sometimes. And James says, whenever we have this pride, whenever we engage in this battle, whenever we murder, we destroy, we commit adultery. But how do we get there? How do we, how do we, how do we resist that? Look at what he says in verse seven. He says, therefore, submit to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, if you and I are prideful, we can't be humble and we can't submit to God. Because when we're prideful, we know more than the other person and we know more than God. James says though, but to have the wholeness and the completeness that we've looked for, to be the best of you, we submit to God. See, and this submission to God is the heart of the gospel. That we submit to God, we draw near to God. He he draws near to us, he cleanses us. Now notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't say, draw near to God and he will cleanse their hands. No, 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 he says, draw near to God and he will cleanse your hands. Yeah, but do you know what they did? James says, but but your hands need to be cleansed too. And submitting to God too is also this ability to say, God, I trust that you are God and I'm not. I, I remember years ago, um, when Ava was first, our oldest was, was born, she was, when she was one, we lived in Wisconsin. And when we, when we left Wisconsin, um, I, 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 was just really, I was just really angry. I was bitter. I was 26 years old and I was kind of working through a lot of things that like God was bringing up in me and a lot of like turmoil in my heart, just about calling and about who I was and how God had wired me. And, and I remember, and, and it was all like, I mean, I had like a month-long pity party. Like and a month-long, like I was just, I was mad at, at other people. I was, I was ultimately mad at God. And I remember when one night, you know, as Katie and I were, we'd pray together. And and I remember, you know, I was just so mad. I didn't even wanna pray. And she said, you know, I feel like, you know, we need to pray that God would bless the people who have hurt you, who you feel like who have hurt you. I was like, I don't wanna do that. I really have no desire to pray for the people who hurt me, number one. And I don't wanna pray God's blessing on them. I, I would like to pray his wrath, his anger and judgment, like I would, let's do that. Like there, I have, there's Old Testament prophet verses about that. Let's call down thunder and lightning on them. And she looked at me and she goes, no. She said, we need to pray that God will bless them. Because you, here's, what, here's what happened. And, and I'll be honest, for, for, I, I looked at her and I said, well, then you're gonna have to do it. And I love my wife because she looked at me and she goes, fine, and she just did it. But here's what slowly happened. Slowly, slowly over time, I was submitting my heart to God. Slowly over time, I was resisting the lies that kept flying into my head about myself and about other people. And, And look at what he says. He doesn't just say resist the devil, but like resisting means like pushing against Resisting means that you identify what is a truth and a lie and and you fight against, but also he says to flee, like to run in the other direction. But what we do is we run just straight forward with all of the lies that the enemy has given to us. And we're like, this has to be right because this feels amazing. And James says, no, 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 submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And as you're submitting to God, what does he promise? God draws near. But he also wants us to see like, he also wants us to see how hard this is going to be. Because look at verse nine. This feels like a downer, but I also think this is the path to how we actually submit to God and how we face some of the brokenness within us and the brokenness in the world around us. Be miserable, mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. And I think James puts us there is because he wants us to grasp the depth and just the depravity that is within us. The ability that you and I have to actually destroy other people. Like I, I think about as a dad with five kids, and I just think my words have the ability to create futures in their lives. My words to them have the ability to to create stories that they will one day carry and tell. And you and I, it's so easy for us to look at other people and say they have the ability to do that, to do X, Y, and Z. And James says, no, so do you. So do you. I love what Charles Spurgeon, he was a pastor, you know, over a hundred years ago. It's one of my favorite quotes from him. He says, grace is dearest to those who understand the depths of their brokenness and need for grace. And we are not able to step into God's grace as long as it's just about them. This is why Jesus said in John 10, 10, as he describes what the enemy does. And I want you to think about this as you think about your relationships. He says, the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, there's probably been at some point where someone has done those things to you. They have stolen, they have destroyed, they have killed something in you, okay? There's also been a desire that you've had at some point to do it back, or maybe you've had a desire to make somebody pay for something somebody else did years ago. But Jesus says, no, 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 I have come so that you may have life. So that you can have it abundantly, so that it's overflowing. See, our transformation and what happens in us with Jesus, when Jesus rescues us and changes us, it is not just an individual thing. It is a communal relational thing that happens too. It changes, when we are transformed by the gospel, it changes how we do relationships. Because then James makes this communal again. Look at verse 11, he says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? There's one lawgiver who is able to judge, save, and destroy. But who are you? Who are you? See, to be the person God's called us to be, to be the best of you, we have to acknowledge that we're not actually God in our relationships. Now, I remember years ago preaching through this book, James is one of my favorite books. Mostly people love the book of James, not for James chapter four, verses one to 12. We love the other verses in James that are more encouraging. But I remember as I got to the end of this passage years ago, just in studying it, and just walking through how I just reconcile different things, how I let go of the, just the desire, like the really strong desire to be right and to have the last word. I remember reading through this passage and writing in, in my journal and just going do I think I'm God? Now, that sounds like a funny question because you and I are both know that, that I'm not and you're not. But when we put ourselves above somebody else, we, ju- we did that. When we judge somebody else, we did God's job. When we defame, criticize somebody else, I mean, those are everyday things that we do. You've been critical of somebody this past week. I've been critical of somebody this past week. And in our heart of hearts, we'll go, I, I'm justified in that. They should have listened to me. And James says, maybe, but you're also not God. And here's the thing, as we're going to see in a minute, how we handle broken relationships how we handle when people hurt us and let us down. They all come from something that we carry around, something from our story, something that is waging war within us. But we don't show up to that war with enough of the right weapons. We often take that war as just truth. We take those words as truth. My mom must have been right. My dad must have been right. My teacher must have been right. Like that's just who I am. And James says, no, 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 you show up with the God of the universe on your side. And you show up in humility and you submit to God knowing that he gives greater grace. But how do we do that? How do we we reconcile some of those things to see what God wants to do in relationships? And so to show you, I wanna share a story with you. Look at the screen.
1: I grew up in uh early 60s, 1964 I was born, San Francisco, Bay Area. It was a very drug-filled, violent time, uh, especially in my house. Uh, four boys, uh, husband and wife uh, did not get along very well. Um, it was very tough to be to have structure, let's put it that way. We had no structure growing up. We were basically wild. Um, There were a lot of drugs, uh, a lot of violence, a lot of beatings. It was not, uh, it's not a place where you truly would want to be growing up or your child to be growing up. Well, it was, oh, 1969, there was a drug raid in my home and um, I remember hearing the commotion and again me being the guy that has to go to the door and look before I could even get to the door this big guy with a trench coat and a hat on just opens the door and looks down and says stay here and closes the door and all I hear is call child services thank God a Christian family took me and two of my brothers, so three of us went to the foster home. We used to go to church religiously, every Sunday, dress, go to church, and we sat in the back left row, uh, because there were 10 of us, there were you know three of their own, I'm sorry, five of their own boys, and then three of us, and then the two parents. Uh, But this Sunday, she had me sit in the center row with her, and she had me sit on the aisle and i don't recall what the sermon was i just remember at the end of the sermon uh the pastor's name is pastor cartwright i remember that vividly and he would say is there anybody that needs prayer she raised her hand now i had been there for months i knew she prayed out loud in her room in her prayer closet and i heard everything and i literally turned and looked went what do you need prayer for And the pastor comes up the aisle and turns to her and she says, it's actually not for me, it's for him, points to me. And he laid hands on me and prayed. And I believe that God just took whatever I had at that time, anger, bitterness, foul mouth, everything, and took it away. And I remember... At 16 years old, I'm sitting by myself. I was allowed to sit by myself at that time. I'm sitting by myself and this elder from the church, John Page, uh, thank you God for him, uh, came up to me and I had my head down and he knew I was struggling with the decision. And he says, are you ready to make the decision? And he had his arm around me and I said, yeah. So that's when I gave my heart to Christ. So what I've grown and known about God is He's not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. All the crud that I've been through in my life, um, there, are, there's much more to my life than you can ever imagine and I'm not going to share that with you. But I look back and look at what He's brought me through and look at how he's changed me and shaped me into the person I am. And I want to be that person because God has done what he's done through my life, he can do through your life. Don't be afraid to take that step out. Just be obedient.